We are uh, beginning a, a series this morning called The Generous Church, and as we look to the, what does it mean this year in 2018 to be a generous community? And as we look to what it means to be a generous church, I want to ask this question. In light of God's generous offer of Jesus, of God's generous demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ given to us freely, how might a church that gets that and grasps it and loves it, how might that church respond? How might it respond in the way that it generously gives and the way that it generously serves? As we go through this journey the next month, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. There's another card in your bulletin uh, that we want you to take home and pray about. There's no obligation. We're not going to be checking our membership roles. We're not going to be checking the who brought it in or who didn't bring it in. But if you feel compelled at the end of this series, on Sunday, February 11th, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. Either respond by how you are going to give generously uh, of your resources and of your treasure or generously give of your time in service to the work of Jesus Christ here at Coral Ridge. So that's going to be Sunday, February 11th that you'll have an opportunity to bring that card back. And like I said, there's no obligation. It's if you feel inclined, if you feel so moved uh, in light of God's generosity, how might you in 2018 give of yourself uh, to the work of Jesus Christ here at Coral Ridge. Um, But for this morning, we're going to look at a story, a story that I'm sure is familiar to many of you, and it's the story of the rich young man as it's found in the Gospel of of Mark. Uh, It's also found in other Gospels. It's also known as the story of the rich young ruler, but we don't Mark doesn't mention that he's a ruler. He just mentions in Mark chapter 10 that he's a rich young man. But it's in Mark chapter 10 that we're, we see this encounter and it's a story of not only giving and generosity, but it is a story of Jesus helping this rich young man discover and uncover his first love and how it might change our life here even this morning. So Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through, through 27. It says, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these have I, I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at the words. But Jesus said again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but not for God, for all things are possible 
with God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord that we just read together this morning, it stands forever. Amen. I mentioned these stats before, but I think it's worth revisiting. Did you know that if you live in a tent in Broward County, you are considered to be part of the top 1% of wealth over the face of this planet? See, we are the wealthiest in this nation as we have ever been in the history of civilization. We have better access to things like healthcare and food and water and shelter and resources than any civilization in the history of the world. If you live in North America today, you are part of the wealthiest people who have ever lived in the history of the world But at the same time, giving in the North American church is at an all-time low. 20% give nothing, 72% give less than 2%. So on the one hand, we are the wealthiest we have ever been, but giving is at an all-time low. I've also shared with you before that we live in one of the most unchurched regions in North America. So we live in one of the most unchurched regions in North America. Giving is at an all-time low in the North American church, but we have more access to wealth and resources than any group that has ever lived in the history of the world. I would say we have a problem. would say we have a problem. And so what I want us to do briefly this morning is not so much talk about giving and money because they are simply tools and resources. I want us to talk about what is ultimately the condition of your heart because for the rich young man here, it wasn't ultimately about his wealth. It was about his first love that prevented him from discovering the true treasure, the treasure of heaven. I want us to look at this discourse, this discourse on wealth and treasure and generosity, because at the end of the day, your generosity is not, listen to me, your generosity is not about funding the church. Your generosity is about your soul. Your generosity, or your lack thereof, reveals the condition of your heart. And that's what I want us to explore briefly this morning by looking at the story of the rich young man, or as other gospels say, the rich young ruler. In verse 17, it says that this rich young man, what is he doing? He runs, he's young, and he runs. But what does he do? He kneels. Kneeling was always a posture of humility. And what this communicates to us is although he is young and he is rich, and as other gospels say, he's a ruler, he has power, he has everything this world says you need to be happy, he is also empty, or he wouldn't have knelt. You see, by him kneeling at the foot of Jesus, he is admitting... Jesus, good teacher as he calls him, I have everything this world says I need. Everything I have need for significance and power and purpose and meaning and happiness. But at the same time, my soul is missing something. And he asks him this question, what must I do to have life? What must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to have life to the full? And the first thing that Jesus does here, 
in this discourse on generosity and on treasure with this rich young man, the first thing that we see is that he reveals the first love. He reveals his first love. He reveals the first love of the rich young man. Jesus begins answering his question. No one calls me good except for God. You know the commandments. This is Jesus speaking. Don't murder don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness. And what does the rich young man say? I've done them all. But Jesus is unpacking and helping him to see truly what his first love is. And he says, no, you haven't done this one thing. Therefore, go and sell all of your possessions and then you will come follow me. How is Jesus revealing the condition of his heart? What Jesus is doing in that moment is he's saying to the rich young man, just for a moment, imagine life separated from your possessions. Imagine what your life would look like separated from your wealth. Imagine what your life would look like separated from all of the things the world says you need for meaning and happiness and purpose. Imagine what your life would look like. And then what does it say? It says in verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. You see, as the rich young man began to think of life separated from his wealth, it began to uncover for him what the condition of his heart was. It uncovered for him, and I think it will do the same for you this morning. It reveals your first love. As you begin to think about what would life be like separated from from my possessions, separated from my wealth, separated from my treasure? Does it begin to reveal your first love? That word sorrowful there in verse 22 is the same word that is used with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus was sorrowful. It's the same word. Why? What was Jesus envisioning in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was envisioning life separated from his first love. As Jesus was imagining life separated from his first love, it caused him to be sorrowful. And for the rich young ruler, the rich young man, he is visioning life without his first love, his wealth and his treasure, and it causes him to be sorrowful. And if we're honest with ourselves this morning, there might be some in this room that you think about being separated from what the world says you need to be happy. It might, might actually Reveal your first love. So for Jesus, he's helping the rich young man uncover and discover what his true love was, but he doesn't, he doesn't stop there. He presents after he helps him see what his true love is, his wealth and his material possessions, he goes further. And the second thing that we see in this passage is that Jesus presents to him the impossibility of generosity. He presents to him that generosity in and of itself seems impossible. And what does Jesus say? He says, it will be difficult, in verse 23, for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at these words. But Jesus said how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. And then he uses this illustration. It's easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why does Jesus use this illustration? Why does he use such an impossible vision and illustration to, to talk about generosity and treasure? He wants, he wants the rich young man to see that generosity in and of itself is impossible. Why? Well, let me ask you this way. 
what do you need to enter the kingdom of heaven? What do you need to go to heaven? Need. The only thing you need to enter the kingdom of heaven is need, right? The only thing you need is need, to need the finished work of Jesus Christ. So for the rich young man and for many of us today, we have bought into the message that the world has given me everything I need, therefore, why would I now need Jesus? You see my point? So the more we have, the more we acquire, the more we take on Generosity, just like the rich young man, generosity for all of us begins to seem impossible because the more we have, the world tells us you have everything you need, therefore I don't need Jesus. And we run into this trap for those that have a lot of wealth and a lot of treasure. We say, I have all that I need. Why would I need Jesus? And for others that don't have a lot, they, we spend our lives chasing what we think we will need to be happy. And what happens? We are so distracted by chasing what we need. We once again say we don't need Jesus. You see both ends of the spectrum say, have no time or place for Jesus. And for those that have accumulated a lot, We say, I finally have, I finally have all that I need. Why in the world would I give it away? If I finally have what the world says I need to be happy, why in the world would I give it away to God? You see, Jesus is presenting to them the generosity in and of itself will always seem impossible. So the first thing that we see is Jesus is helping him discover what his true love is, his first love it's his treasure. And then he moves in to understanding that generosity in and of itself seems impossible. But the last thing that we see here is the requirement for a greater rich young ruler. You see, at the end of the passage that I read, and the disciples say, who can be saved? Jesus says, what seems impossible, generosity and entering the kingdom of God actually is only made possible by God. You see, what Jesus is saying is for all of this to be possible, God must intervene. God and God alone. Generosity in and of itself will always seem impossible because we will never want to give it away because we think we need it. And only once God intervenes will we actually have the cap capability and the heart and the desire to give and to be generous. You see, it requires God to intervene. It requires a greater rich young ruler. How ultimately did God intervene? He intervened with the person and work of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, what does it say? It said, he, meaning Jesus, who was rich, what? For your sake became poor. Jesus, who was rich, for your sake, became poor. You see, the story of the gospel is the story of the great rich young ruler who comes down from heaven, Jesus Christ, who has all of the wealth of heaven and comes down and sacrifices everything, even his life on the cross, so that you might have it all. You see, the greatest, great rich young ruler comes down, and he gives us the generous gift of life and of hope in the message of the gospel. Jesus, the great rich young ruler, came down 
and sacrificed everything so that we might have it all. You see, it's only through Jesus and Jesus alone does what seem impossible with man, generosity, a generous life, and a generous church, only through Jesus does it be made possible. You see, generosity is not, listen to me, generosity is not about being the big giver. It's about being the big receiver. And only once we get that, that generosity is first and foremost about receiving everything from Christ, all that we need in this life, only once we grasp that can we actually begin to give and give generously. So where do we learn to be generous? I've shown this video before, but I think it's worth looking at again. Take a look at the screens and look at this video on generosity. Here at the Ohio Air National Guard Base near Toledo. This is the 180th Fighter Wing. Lieutenant Colonel Frank Daly still can't believe the honor recently bestowed upon him. It's incredible being recognized uh, in such a manner. It happened at a Cracker Barrel of all places. As the security camera shows, Lieutenant Colonel Daly entered the restaurant on February 7th for an early lunch. At about the same time, eight-year-old Miles Eckert came in with his family. Miles, in the green hoodie, was very excited. He just found a $20 bill in the parking lot. Just sitting there? Yeah. Did you start thinking of what you could spend it on? I kind of wanted to get a video game, but then I decided not to. He changed his mind when he saw that guy in uniform. Because he was a soldier, and soldiers remind me of my dad. And so, with his dad in mind, Miles wrapped the 20 in a note that read, Dear soldier, my dad was a soldier. He's in heaven now. I found this $20 in the parking lot when we got here. We like to pay it forward in my family. It's your lucky day. Thank you for your service. Signed, Miles Eckert, a Gold Star Kid. Army Sergeant Andy Eckert was killed in Iraq just five weeks after Miles was born. All the kid has ever had are pictures and dog tags. This is his wedding ring other people's memories, and his own imagination. I imagined him as a really nice person and somebody that would be really fun. <laughs> the dad he imagines must also love a good story. Because after lunch that day, Miles asked his mom, Tiffany, to make one more stop. Excellent. He wanted to go see his dad. And he wanted to go by himself that day. She took this picture from the car. Follow the footsteps and you'll see Miles standing there behind the flag presumably telling his dad all about it. And whether heaven heard him or not, his good deed continues to impress here on earth. You've read it more than once? I look at it every day. Kid gave you a bigger gift than $20. Uh, a lifetime uh, uh, direction, for sure. Lieutenant Colonel Daly says he's already given away the 20 and plans to do much more. He also hopes that little green post-it will inspire other people across the country to give, to give as sincerely and dutifully as this father and son. Awesome. Powerful story. So where did that boy learn to be generous? He said he had $20 and he could have spent it on video games. Where did he learn to give? Where did he learn to give sacrificially from his daddy? Where do you learn how to give? From your dad. God so loved the world 
he gave. God so loved the world. God so loved you, he gave. I could spend weeks and weeks and months and months talking about giving and tithing and offering and all that, but you will never get it. Nothing will ever sink in. Nothing will ever be sustainable. We will never be a generous church that joyfully gives until we understand that God, through the person of Jesus Christ, has joyfully given us his son so that we might live. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that you would not die, but you would have eternal life. And that gift for many of you for the first time this morning might be the first time you've even heard of that gift. And before you can even think of giving, this might be the first time in your life you've even been confronted with the opportunity to receive. Then would you be the big receiver today and receive Jesus the one who has come, the great rich young ruler who has come to sacrifice his life, gives his life so that you might live forever. Would you be the big receiver this morning and accept Jesus as your only hope? And Coral Ridge, if you consider this your church home, would you pray? Would you pray this next year of how we can be a generous church in such a way that the only explanation for the watching world would be this. They are such a generous congregation that their lives have been overwhelmed by the generosity of God. And would we give much because we have received everything and let's watch God do more than we could have ever imagined.